You're listening to First Film First, a podcast where filmmakers describe their experiences of making their first feature film. We'll discuss those experiences in the context of their artistic development and their subsequent career opportunities. Join me as we take a deep dive back in time to see how fledgling filmmakers came to their decisions. Welcome to podcast number one with Laurie Rose, BSE, the first, uh, the guinea pig uh, to test the system. So Laurie Rose is the BAFTA award winning cinematographer of some amazing projects. Sightseers, Journeyman, A Field in England, Bill, Peaky Blinders, Free Fire, High Rise, The BAFTA was one for London Spy, Journey's End, Overlord, Stan and Ollie, and Box Fresh, out today, Rebecca, his <laughs> latest project. That's exciting. I haven't yet seen it because it's only been on Netflix for about four hours. Um, so apologies for that. Um, Not at all. Anyway, very welcome. kind. When you say it all in a list, it all sounds... It- Sounds. I'm quite impressed. <laughs> you, you should be impressed. It's an incredibly <laughs> impressive list. Like, well, yeah, you. be be impressed with yourself. Um, uh, <laughs> everyone else is it. Everyone else is proud of you. So, um, it's it's great to it's great to um, be able to uh, have this conversation. So That's very kind of you. <laughs> um, and so uh, so to de- to today's discussion. So Rebecca obviously released today. Um, but for the purposes of the conversation, I want to talk about the amazing project. Down Terrace. Shot, I think, in 2008. Released, I think, in 2009. The logline of the movie is uh, a crime family looks to unmask the police informant in their midst who threatens to take down their business. That's a very it's a it's a very succinct log line for something that that might not necessarily leap out at you when you watch the film. It's um it's a it's why I love it actually. It's one it's a it's a little bit more um sort of abstract perhaps than that and it, it um you know you sort of you do find that out i think it almost gives it too much away the, the log line <laughs> yeah i think i think you're completely right i think the film is about a whole heap of other things that are uh i guess philosophically more important than that simple sort of plot explanation yes for sure i mean it certainly draw hopefully draws you in but it's um but there's more to discover i think yeah absolutely and and so for those uh, anyone that's listening out there that has not seen the film obviously pause the podcast right now and go on to either iTunes in the states or around the world or onto um Amazon Prime over here or onto or grab the DVD off of your shelf and refresh your memory of what a great movie it is and then you can delve into the psyche of Laurie Rose. Crumbs. So there you go. There's there's the there's the <laughs> advert for there's the advert for for going to watch the movie. I guess to start um to start even further back than downstairs, where if you would where were you in your career at the point of the first conversations about that film? Well, I love the fact that there's a real charm to the, you know, I'm enjoying the fact that we're talking about Down Terrace on the day when Rebecca comes out because it's the, you know, it's the first to my, well, almost, almost most recent project, the most recent release. So there's a real uh, romance to that, which I love. But as prior to, prior to Down Terrace, I had not shot any narrative work at all. I'd been a, a TV uh, camera person for for probably about eight or nine years up until that point uh, as a freelance TV ca- uh, lighting camera uh, a person who, um, you know, I was working job to job. I was working for all the uh, major broadcasters in the UK and uh, doing, uh, I'd, I'd done a, I think I'd done a couple of music videos and a couple of, sort of uh, small kind of cable ads, but was doing telly basically, um, um, documentary, um, uh, uh, reality stuff. I've done a lot of comedy, kind of hidden camera stuff. Um, you know, this is laying bare my uh, my my roots. None of which I'm at all. Uh, none of it I regret to to any extent at all because I think that was really my grounding in terms of being um, uh, self sufficient as a technician. Um, uh, really learning my craft in terms of uh, of, of kind of f- video photography, I guess, in that sense of um, uh, of uh, sequencing for myself, um, principally. And I think this is the most important thing. Really, is is um, observational shooting. Having done a lot of 
um, work with a lot of directors who, you know, it's literally a director every day. Um, and it might be, I think the longest jobs that I tended to get might be three weeks at a push. Um, I've done a lot of traveling. I've been around the world and done all sorts of interesting, you know, kind of factual stuff and, you know, really, really done a lot of it and was having a great time. Um, but I hadn't shot any. It, it was all that kind of, um, you know, it was all very short sequencing. It wasn't, there was, there was not a huge amount of continuity to it. There was, um, so it, it it was very different. And I was really keen having, having assisted many years ago on some Super 16 shorts for some, uh, some cameramen that I'd worked for uh, back in the day, I'd 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 never been anywhere near anything narrative or scripted or um or anything like that where I'd been in full control at least. So I'd I'd, I'd kind of promised myself that I'd wanted to get into um I wanted to get into that. I wanted to try it, and that's kind of how this came about. Is actually a friend of a mutual friend of uh, Ben Wheatley and I's um, put us in touch because they'd been doing some work together they'd been shooting some commercials like proper grown-up commercials and and on the side some kind of which is a lot a lot of ben's background was um did a lot of um viral kind of campaign stuff really in the early days of that kind of youtube um um proper viral campaign where you really didn't know what it was all about but actually it was kind of branded content but they were um and that had expanded into more of a commercials career for 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 ben um, they'd been doing some work together, and there was some bits, uh, bits of a series of comedy things that um, that Ben wanted to do that our, that our friend couldn't do. So he put us in touch, which is kind of where it started. Really, we did um, we so we did these very you know you know kind of DV camera in the hand comedy little comedy skits that were based around very very simple VFX um, processes that then uh, Ben and his uh, his 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 partner Rob would do between them. So they would kind of, you know, edit it on a laptop and do really actually quite complex, but, but fast kind of um, fast and dirty uh, VFX comps to make the comedy gags. So um, I think one of the earliest things they did was um, cunning stunt, which I think was um, went, went enormously viral on YouTube. And it was a shot of Rob jumping over a car, driving along a street, and and they'd kind of done this really simple um, takeover comp um, in in After Effects, and then that had just blown up into this into a bit of a viral phenomenon. And actually, then that gag we then co-opted that gag and used it in Down Terrace a bit later on. But um, that's kind of how oh, it started. Where's, when when's this bus turning up? Yeah, <laughs> that, that scene. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Uh, and so that's kind of how Ben and I met, which was quite fortuitous. And then we we'd done these things, and I'd gone back to my day job, which was you know shooting. I think I was, I don't know what I was doing at the time, but anything from X Factor to doing door stops on Rogue Traders for Watchdog, you know, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, then, I, I guess I guess answering the phone and and turning up with you know camera of choice to facilitate content of the day kind of thing. Very much so. And so yeah. how did when? So obviously these um these skits uh for for YouTube the viral ideas were were kind of happening. At what point did did the conversation begin about Down Terrace and was Ben saying you know like there's this I've got this idea blah 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 how how did it yeah how did the conversation shake down. Well, I'd uh, we we became Facebook friends back in the days when people be, were it was a it was a big <laughs> it was a, it was a thing and and um, we I as I said I kind of I'd done that um, I'd promised myself and in fact I'd promised uh, my my best friend uh, Bobby um, that I was going to uh, reach out to somebody because I kind of by that point obviously I knew enough kit companies and I knew enough. Um, crew that would kind of be up for it that I could get you know a camera assistant and a and a focus uh, and a, a not even a focus puller that's another thing but uh, but a sound recorder you know I could get a kind of a small team together and I knew that I could uh, I could kind of facilitate probably for free a short um, and, and so I put a, uh, an appeal out completely indirectly about um, anybody that had a short script because I'd you know I'd worked with lots of um, producers and directors and everyone kind of had this fancy fancy notion to move into a little bit of narrative out of uh, out of tv and um and ben came back and said that he had a script and i was like great you know he's a nice guy we had fun and 
you know, he's clearly smart and uh, and I really enjoy what we did. It was kind of anarchic and 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 off the wall and seat of the pants. And I love to, you know, that was kind of intrigued me. And he said, I do have a script, but it's a feature and I want to shoot it in a week. And I was like, have, have you not got a short? Because there's just, you know, the idea of shooting a feature length project, having done, you know, next to zero previously was obviously a bit daunting, but then we talked about it. We kind of kicked it around for a few weeks and he'd written it super specifically for, for one interior location with a couple of um, jaunts out, um, but literally round the corner or across the road for a very specific set of people that he'd worked with, either worked with previously or they were non-actors that were just kind of willing to, to do it. He'd, so he'd written this script with Rob Hill, who was his partner in, uh, he's an editor, um, but they'd, they'd, they'd been at school together, I think. Or they'd, no, they'd been at college together at least, and uh, so they'd known each other for years. And they'd written the script. It's very specific, very stripped down, and they wanted to shoot it in a week. So we talked about it, and we ended up actually shooting it in eight days because we couldn't quite fit it into any less. Um, and that was it. It was a sounds totally extravagant. Eight days, well, quite rather, yes. than, rather than five or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we um we looked at this house and we we decided we were only going to limit the amount of rooms that we went into and we used the stairs and a couple of rooms upstairs in the bathroom and and this house was dressed you know it's it was it's rob hill's parents house um and it it is how you find how we found it you know that's what it was written for and the color of the walls was kind of crucial and that's it so it all been written as if the set had been built previously and uh, and the characters were all were all inside it so that's um so that was the economy of that I think which is actually the genius of it is that there's no helicopter chases and um no explosions because obviously it's very difficult to be able to afford those kind of things realistically so to make something that to you know have that sort of situation in a script to back into actually it solves all sorts of problems with before you even start and then you realize actually you can you can make those things relatively cheaply and relatively um quickly yeah and i guess uh, from a, a direction perspective if you know the space so well um and you've limited your choices then blocking becomes easier to mastermind kind of thing. And it's interesting what you said earlier about the observational techniques that you were learning from your, you know, videography days kind of thing. Probably the the camera operating is the most visceral part of the storytelling. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you and Ben came up with that observational technique or whether it was sort of set the actors up and then follow and kind of roll with the punches what, what was the philosophy overriding it all uh well i i, I didn't go to film school so i uh, uh you know all of that the, the stuff i mentioned about um uh, about observation and about um framing and composition i went to art school but didn't go to film school so i actually had no very little background in that apart from a love of films and of moving image and uh, and so that was sort of still really developing and it I mean it, that never ends but Ben had shown me we'd looked at um, some Cassavetti's work and uh, and which are you know those kind of um, late 60s really kind of visceral indie films where it's it, you know where the camera is almost a character but it is about observing so uh, they're almost you know, semi documentaries in a way and then we watch something actually which is then threaded that we always talk about actually is the Maisel's Grey Gardens which is not um you know it's not it's, there's no secret to that I think it's a super well regarded documentary but it is so cinematic in the way that the camera watches and is you know, is this kind of this seeing eye, and he's completely immersed in in, in the in the environment and and the characters. You know, the characters kind of respond to it, and they don't, and they leave the camera, and they come back, and um, and that really was that that was a kind of film school in two films. Um, Women under the influence was the main one, and then the Maisel's Grey Gardens, which were they're kind of a film school in themselves, really. So that was that really good reference point. And then what we found is that you know, and I think that you find that with a lot of low budget is that your what your your limitations are what inform what you do, you know, like the, the, those decisions start to be made for you because you set up your boundaries, and that's always you know when when, the, when I think if you've got billions of dollars and the 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 options are, are, are limitless, 
there's kind of there's ambition in that of course because you can do anything but actually there's when you've got limitations in terms of time and money having those rules or having those limitations are are really useful i think because they cut out a whole load of di- unnecessary decision making so we were you know this kind of place was kind of cluttered with furniture it was in a the, the whole downstairs of it is all very much in a straight line um so you know the, the options for coverage are kind of on a 180 so it's really is kind of it deals with all of that you know it takes all of that any of those you know oh crow you know where can we put it here and there you know so yeah your limit your limitations are, are are part of the fabric of the of the process very much so, so it's like totally you know you can't you know if you want to follow someone into the bathroom then the chances are that single take is going to evolve from character to character you know with the dialogue you know rather than being a conventional you know, a close-up of this character and then on the next take we'll do a close-up of the next character. Yeah. And sort of, you know, what they do so well in Gamora where the mise-en-scene is sort of constructed via the camera. Yes. I'm assuming you had one camera, one crew. Yes. What was the what was the makeup of, of your team for that, okay. for, for Dan Harris? So obviously, and like explained my background is that I, I, I mean, I knew what a camera team was. <laughs> but, but I didn't have one on this. I mean, I had I, I had two two assistants, but two separate assistants across the eight days because I couldn't get anyone to do the whole the whole eight days because there was um there wasn't really any money in it, and you know the expenses were kindly paid and we were fed. And but that's another thing about the the the, the amount of time that we took to make it. There was an economy in that because it felt like there was. There was actually very little commitment that we required from people because it just wasn't a very long time. You know, it wasn't. We weren't expecting somebody to do a six-week project for, for no money or for just for food or you know, it was it was a, it had that completely in mind about we you know we need to find a way of making this for as for as little as possible. So I couldn't get people to do the whole thing, which is why we ended up with I had two different assistants. Uh, just loaders, really, just somebody to help me with the, the the camera, and then and five different sound recordists who are all all friends of mine, but they all came and did a day each and a you know kind of a day and a half each, swapping over, you know, handing the baton over yeah, after lunch, exactly. kind of thing. Almost, yeah, yeah, yeah. almost, yeah. So it was very small. So that was it. There was me and um uh, and a camera, and uh, I focus pulled myself which was something that i was very used to be essentially an eng camera operator you know i pulled my stop and i pulled my focus and that was came very naturally for me but just a word about the camera we at the time this was a time of uh, of d of kind of hd dv cameras you know it was that kind of very early uh, and we were talking about using a can't remember the model number but it was a panasonic um but what we were planning on using was a pns 35 mil adapter okay yeah yeah, yeah. the the like the spinning ground glass thing that took a set of super speeds or you know whatever you wanted to put on the front of it yeah yeah. that was totally the plan so we kind of you know and for me as being coming from an eng background that was that was fairly exotic at the time you know we were it felt like a uh it was a small sensor of course but you know the always actually there's a note always really love the panasonic film looks so there you go so we shoot we we knew we could shoot at at a, a more cinematic frame rate and then that kind of that that progressive frame rate and with a nice panavision uh a cine look plus then you added the the kind of depth of field characteristics of some prime lenses we thought would be golden um yeah so i we kind of are and i was working with a camera company in in london who i did all my uh, eng rentals with so i was kind of arranging and that's what we were pushing for is to use one of these cameras that i'd seen used and was you know really excited about but they said well, we've just had this camera just arrive. Do you want to use that? And it happened to be a red one. Whoa! Right, so we're, we're like yeah. properly exotic. That yeah. that must have must have been sort of both uh, terrifying <laughs> and and satisfying in equal measure. Well, yes, the satisfying came later on, but the you know this was a big old lump of uh, cast iron with you know this enormous great sensor, huge amounts of resolution that that you know terrifying, and it was as close to uh, as close to cinema as we'd ever come. You know, it was a it was you know digital film, digital cinema, amazing. So we were super excited about that. Um, I think I chose. The only lens set that I really had 
ever known outside of outside of Fuji in Canon zooms, which were uh, Zai super speeds, you know, yeah. and which uh, yeah. speeds, which, masterpieces. I mean, they, masterpieces. You know, I would uh, I've used them every you know ever since. I still love them. Um, if I could afford them, I would still I'd buy a set tomorrow. But you know, <laughs> they're like gold dust. Um, they've still got loads of value. I think you know they're 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 contrasty and 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 fast and and small and light. They're just lovely little things. So we had there we are. So suddenly we had a digital cinema camera with some prime lenses, and on the, the on the satisfaction scale, what saved me was that I mean somebody could have suggested we shot on sixteen, which would have kind of terrified me at that stage, really, because I hadn't shot film. Um, so it it was that was complete for me was an, an alien prospect, but the digital cinema the emerging digital cinema was as close to my experience as you could get. You know, it was a digital camera. It was, it had a color viewfinder or it had a, a monitor a screen. You could plug BNCs into it. It was, uh, and it had buttons that I understood. And, um, and so actually that transition was very natural. It just felt like a, a bigger, slightly scarier version of a, it's a video camera. And so that, yeah. that, that was not, that that was a good thing you know it just it felt it just meant that it felt very natural and i knew that i could get it on my shoulder yeah and i and i guess actually from a from a like an engineering you know if you're used to using digi beta or beta sp cameras then actually the sort of the hd revolution that occurred with the red one simplified quite a lot of the engineering practices like you wouldn't have to know what black shading was or that kind of thing you know the the box pretty much took care of itself other than requiring a few buttons being pressed on a on a daily basis to keep it in line basically yeah absolutely you're totally right and but i mean black shading came obviously when we started to find out the um the foibles of uh, of, of the very early red cameras um overheat yeah. overheating and black shading and and actually we were obviously using spinning drives as well so that was something that you know everyone was warning us you had to be really careful about bumping drives and and um and you know drives freezing and the camera crashing and all sorts of things so but actually we'd we'd kind of scoured the internet had been taken all the warnings on board and, um, and ben and rob both being editors we kind of they acted as the for the data handling you know we had a stack in in one of the rooms we weren't using and so we were always turning the drives around and they were watching it and they were doing checksums and we were kind of you know taking care of the data between us very carefully not filling a drive you know doing all the basic precaution stuff that we were just learning and we were very lucky we didn't lose anything. We didn't have any jams. We didn't. Uh, it all went very well because we were all sort of super careful and vigilant about it. Uh, yeah. So there we are. We're now. Then, then the, the biggest problem we had is how we were going to fit this great big camera uh, into this house, and there was no other way really apart from doing it on the shoulder and being fairly fleet of foot. And so that's that's kind of what we did. With you know that was the coming together of the starting point was we're going to observe it. These people have, who know their lines are going to turn up. And we are gonna we're gonna see what they do, and we're gonna shoot them doing it. <laughs> so it's yeah, kind yeah. Of- and you're you're gonna be like the you know the the fourth person in the room, kind of observing it, being a part of the conversation as it's happening in front of your eyes. Yeah, and that that felt really natural. It didn't feel like I was uh, in the way necessarily, or or from what I recall anyway, it just that it it felt like a very natural process. It felt like going to work and knowing the script and knowing what everyone uh you know we'd kind of see where every you know there was only so many places that i could stand and only so many places that they could stand so what ben, ben kind of employed this you know we, I think we didn't have a first ad so they between ben and rob and andy the producer kind of worked out how we were going to schedule it and ben came up with this idea of a of a 20 minute timer so that would mean that from stepping into the room doing a kind of a quick block, me kind of switching a light on or off, framing up and doing various takes and then maybe jumping to the other corner of the room would be 20 minutes and then we'd we'd move on. So that would be that. So those 20 minutes from, from, from start to completion of completion of scene or just completion of that shot? Oh, scene, 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 scene. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's impressive. <laughs> As an impressive dogmatic approach. Yeah, but really, I mean, I didn't know any different. So, 
<laughs> that was, you know, it was obviously we were we were hammering hammering at it, but um, and it was relentless. You know, we didn't we 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 actually we didn't do anything longer than a twelve hour. You know, we never went over the time that we said we were going to do, and um, we always had lo- a lovely lunch and um uh, and. <laughs> Uh, there was a, just a lot of Red Bull and a lot of chocolate. I think I seem to remember that was the principal motivator. Um, but we, um, yeah, that was that that was literally it. And we, but the uh, this other trick that Ben had, which was, we still kind of do a little bit, but is um is almost rehearsing on camera. So what we would do is that we would kind of is you know the old gag of shooting the rehearsal just because there's actually a naivety in not knowing quite what's going to happen for an observer because then you can always there's a chance of scooping something up or at least seeing how people start to, but you know, it's a rehearsal for us and it's a rehearsal for them from, you know, I say us for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the, for the whole collective for the whole, crew, for the whole crew for, for yeah. you under, a, yeah, for you under a camera. I mean, I guess that's, I think that's what you're, what you're striking at is this, this, um, the balance of sort of spontaneity versus planned execution that, that is sort of a consistent, you know, a film industry requirement kind of thing is that to capture lightning in a bottle is the goal for everybody. And sometimes that lightning has to be orchestrated in order to exist. And sometimes it simply exists and you have to be prepared. And there's a balance between being spontaneous and being incredibly planned. I mean, I'm guessing, I mean, one of my favourite uh, things about the operating style of Down Terrace is is how fluidly you move from character to character, but also how, from a storytelling perspective, and I'm guessing this comes out of that um, rehearse, you know, shoot the rehearsal structure, is that sometimes when you're panning across, you're coming, you know, after the line for the second line from a particular character because you're observing and and that timing is much more satisfying than if you were there for the line and then there for the line, you know, back for the line and back for the line and back for the line. Was that part of the process kind of thing? Well, this is, it, it, it was. And actually having just, to, because I wanted to refresh my memory. So I watched the film again last night because I've got a, 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 actually a Blu-ray copy from America. Would you believe it? Wow. Um, so I watched that last night and, I mean, I am in. I I am impressed with the fluidity of it. <laughs> I mean, given the, given the situation we were in and how fast we were moving and how confident it is in terms of the cho- just the choices about when to find somebody or when to stay on somebody, I'm still in, I'm impressed by, and I don't. I wish I could still do that. <laughs> It feels it, it. You're right, and I think it's that you've really hit the nail on the head in terms of 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 that going forward in terms of filmmaking because that magic of constructing that moment or finding that moment, I think is a is is the ongoing uh, technical process. I think for me of filmmaking is because it takes so much effort to it can take so much effort or so you know so many working parts moving parts to get to that magic moment that actually uh, there's something so much more satisfying often not all the time of course but but in finding that moment and actually another project that I did a, a couple of years ago where I really went back to that which was a it was a fully improvised film all on the shoulder following one character and what she the life that she was leading there was something magic about that and actually maybe that's I mean you could say maybe that's what I'm better at but it's but there's something super satisfying in spending time in immersing the camera as a character in those moments to really so it does kind of border on the on the documentary but it's that storytelling it's still constructive storytelling because you're following a a form of of storyline and actually I really love that so it that's some of my favorite moments but that yeah for me that really hits it on the head is that that's what we're after isn't it is that magic moment whether it's constructed or whether it's real but how do you how do you find those you know that's that's just- yeah yeah i mean i th- i think it's it's interesting how you know when you're when you're photographing you know a, a character's performance often you are being led to photograph one character in a close-up in order to capture this lightning in a bottle Mm. and i'm not i'm not sure i'm a i'm not sure i'm a 100 advocate of that you know style of narrative filmmaking necessarily i think that a lot of a lot of actors respond uh less to purposeful 
close up and more to environmental immersion mm. kind of thing. Mm. And so when when the actors are are immersed in their predicament and you are observing that predicament, it's more likely that that lightning will strike. Mm. And it's so for me it's like this that interesting thing is that if you if you're post rationalizing it all, how do you get in a in a you know in a static close up of of a character? How do you help create that lightning mm. because that's what you know from from that planned execution perspective that's what you're trying to do and i think the the observational freeform nature of the of the kind of cassavetti's males style is part of the reason why the lightning strikes mm. and in fact you get more strikes with that technique than than you would normally i mean you could take it back to a more sort of um uh, an almost uh, celestial you could take it back into a wider thing and actually what it is what the what that whole process starts with is the gathering of those elements and actually maybe that's the trick and actually to in absolute all, all honesty i think that that is what ben wheatley has been so amazingly successful at so far is it's those it's putting those elements in a room whether it's i'm very grateful to be part of that but i'm not you know but that but that the actors the producer that's putting it together the line producer ben being there the sound department you know the family that we've that has grown around those projects those are kind of the elements that actually are creating the environment what indirectly and indirectly that might that enable those magic things to happen so that's when you can take it out to really you know if you want to be slightly more uh, holistic about it is that that those are the things if you if you can get that right then you're like 80 percent there and then... yeah, yeah. and so and so yeah so no matter what so no matter what physical environment you find yourselves in mm. because of the the family structure and because of the the i guess the the holistic dogmatic nature of the family structure mm. you can choose to go to a camper van mm. with sightseers or you can or you can uh, uh, morph into a high-rise you know mm. uh, apartment block yeah i think that's yeah there's definitely in engenders a an environment where where magic can happen and I, I i do believe that i mean i don't think it can be overlooked but um, but it's also a reason why because Ben Ben had done a lot a fair amount of scripted stuff previous to Down Terror. So where I hadn't, he'd he'd just coming off shooting a um, a series of a sitcom for for BBC Three. So he'd been into that whole uh, the the whole formatted structure of kind of of being on a set, um, having walls that he could fly, having two cameras. I think, uh, and um, but shooting it was comedy. So comedy, you have to, you know, there's shooting comedy is a very technical process. You can't just kind of wing it and improvise it because there's a script and the script has to be shot, and you have to give everyone their 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 gags and their punchlines and so it's actually quite a technical process you you go through uh, wides mids and tights you do reverses you turn around you do you know all the kind of fairly formatted stuff and ben want did not did absolutely did not want to do that you know that was what he was that he wanted to 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 take control of was improvisation free form observation not just dropping all the formality and i think that we did that in 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 absolute um you know in handfuls um and and it worked you know and that takes an awful lot of confidence in terms of a director who's watching what we're capturing and then sort of asking for what they want next or what they know will work in an edit so having a director who is an editor themselves having um, the main cast member who's an editor and the writer that really helps um, because they, you know, between them, they are, they can sequence, they can time, they can, you know, all of those things. And then together with me, you know, hopefully then be able to rely on that observation and, you know, for me literally to give you, to, to go for cutaways, to, to, to know, to get a sense of when to move off somebody when to come back to somebody you know all of those things are really tough to to put any sort of um quantification on because is that a word <laughs> to, yeah to, it is today to, to 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 kind of how oh you know i'm going to i'm going to do this in this scene you know it's not it's just not there's no it really is instinct based and that's something that um 
that I'm kind of proud of, but you can't always rely on it. But it's but but there's a real there has to be an instinct, and you have to listen to what's going on. You know, to hear people and to see how they move and to move accordingly. And actually, there's a, there's a couple of interesting things that one I'd learned, which is, might, might be apocryphal, but I'd learned from a cameraman who had worked with Louis Theroux in the past doing those kind of sort of observational but presenter led documentaries. And what Louis Theroux would do, I'm told, is that he would work with the camera operator. So whilst they're interviewing somebody, Louis yeah. would ask the question twice. So he'd ask the question of the person that the camera was, say, looking at. And then what he would do is, and, and then maybe you'd do, he'd either ask the question twice or he'd, he'd start asking the question to give you a chance as the operator to swing round and then he'd ask the, he'd ask the question. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Leading, leading the operator around the room yeah, kind of thing. Almost, yeah, almost, yeah. Or he would almost, he'd almost kind of touch him on the elbow because a question, a question was coming. And then you can kind of... You don't have to do it straight away. You can do it, but you know it's coming. And so that's that kind of interaction is really useful, you know. And I think I think if anybody did that, it would have been, or at least with that idea, is that Rob Hill, who's the main character, plays Carl in the film, is that he would have done that. He would have waited. There was a couple of occasions last night when I was watching it where he waited for me to land on him before he reacted. And actually that timing is where it's funny or where it's, dark or where it tells that story you know and that real first experience of interacting with cast in a narrative setting to tell a story was just joyous you know that's that that was that was really lovely and another thing that ben did because having that kind of that background in comedy is that moving into improv and into these kind of these short uh dramatic things is that we he would he would work with comedians to do dramatic stuff so uh, you know, a case in point being Michael Smiley, who you know, it's the first time I'd met him on uh, uh, as Chris Pringle on uh, Dan Terrace. He came down for a day. I think it was just a day. Actually, we did all these bits, and his sense of improvisation and speed of thought and being able to turn his comedy into drama and straight facedness is just you know beyond. I mean, it is so sharp and it is so funny and his turn of phrase is all you know he's threaded throughout his before it's just fantastic yeah that darkly comic undertone mm-hmm. that that really is like the personality of the film mm-hmm. how aware of that were you in terms of in terms of like the logistics of putting together every scene was it something that was really spoken about or was it like we're going to treat this we're going to treat this as a as a as a real live event and we're going to let the we're going to let the darkly comic undertone be a subversive element within the dialogue with within the cast kind of thing. I think that that if you if if you had a, a lot more time, then you might be able to do that. But I think that um, that uh, and this was going back to Ben's this this kind of technique of of rehearsing on camera is that Ben would really quickly cycle through opportunities to rehearse. So everyone we we had we had the main cast. So we had um, uh, Bob and Robin, we had them throughout. And then we only had other characters um, for, you know, I think Smiley was literally came down from London for a day. And I think we sort of had, uh, you know, two or three days of other people. And then we they would just sort of slot in and we would do their bits and get rid of them. And then our main yeah. cast, and then we'd sort of, we'd just kind of fit everything around it again, because you're sort of limiting the people's commitment, right? So actually, yeah. you, just, you don't need them all the time. But what Ben would do was really interesting was, so you would do a script pass. So you would shoot, we, we would shoot a pass. It might be the first one. Everyone's sort of getting to know their character and getting to know the, the room and their interactions. And then we might do, Ben would then say, okay, do a version which is loud. So you might come in and you might be angrier and you might be a bit shouty. And then everyone would do a shouty version. Then you would do a quiet version. Then you maybe do a version where you don't say anything. So actually, people walk in a room, they look at each other, the script is running through all of our heads. We kind of know what's going on, but nothing's being said. I mean, these are all quite extreme examples, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But then we would do a version where he'd say, okay, go off, you know, go off script. He would let them improvise based on, you know, they still had to, the points of the script were still in place, but then he would improvise, make them, allow them to make the script their own. And that's when you get those 
sharp turns of phrase, those, you know, they, everyone knows what needs to be said, but they would make it their own. And the joy in that, I think, is in the film quite a lot because they're often super successful takes because because you've run through those really quick kind of emotional rehearsals, suddenly when you get to, so you might do an improvised take, but then Ben would say, okay, let's go back to script. And for the last take, you would go back to the original words. But the, that then, that performance would then be informed by all of those things that had come before, all in a space of, like I said, all in a space of 10, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, and yeah. so your final performance take, which is on script, which is what needs to be said for the story, is strong. It's quiet. It's 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 dark. It's funny. It's you know straight faced. It's you know, and that's which is kind of genius. When you've got that amount of time, you can't spend a lot of time kind of playing. You just can't. So a lot of the immediacy and the energy, coupled with that observational shooting, is is just you know that's that's embedded in the film hopefully and i think that 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 fed out all of the films that we did really up until we kind of changed that mode up really i think high rise was the first time we we went really kind of gripped and composed and and it was a lot more thoughtful and and also based on another somebody else's piece of work because all the writing up to that point was um ben or amy's or you know. Oh yeah, it was it was like conceptually original as well as as well as being a script by yeah for sure by. yeah yeah and so well that's that's so that's an interesting sort of segue I mean just going back to the performance scenario it does it seems like from a I sometimes describe it from when I'm operating as having like the, a metronome inside that I'm trying to kind of sync within me to what what performance is happening and i guess the the actors have the same kind of rhythmic relationship with the dialogue and when they get their improv rhythm out of themselves kind of thing then that then informs the scripted rhythm in a way that increases the kind of naturalism and also the any sort of subversive inner voice that comes through through the dialogue, kind of thing. Yeah, and that's what Ben Ben, ben has uh, has always been amazing at. And is, I read an interview about that was part of the press for Rebecca. Is that he's got he has actually it's quite a light touch directorial approach in that that the that the, the work is kind of done in casting. Ben casts people for the characters that he knows they can do. Or for, or for their personal characters, which is what all of the characters in um, all of the cast in in Down Terrace were. You know, he'd worked with all of them before, um, in to some extent, and cast those people to come and be themselves in ca- in character. You know, to play a character, but that's what he wanted. And actually, just do he just wanted them to do them. And I think that that's that that freedom of them not having to do another accent i think that or 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 be something that they're not i think is sort of anathema to ben Uh, and and that's made sense i mean i think the only it is all all the way up to free fire really is all of those characters from all over the world doing their accent you know there was some obviously some americans and trying to get out we're trying to put some bostonians in there but it was really let's not make these performances difficult for these people we want them to do their voices, and to uh, and and I think that that's kind of important in lots of ways. I mean, actors are actors, you know; they should be able to perform and uh, and embody these people and change themselves. But actually, the purest of performance is when somebody can almost be themselves. You know, that's one school of thought. Yeah, and 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 allow the sort of the tuning fork of emotional resonance to Ooh, exist like within someone. Yes. Yeah, you can you can sell that one. Sell <laughs> that one. Put, that. put that in American cinematographer when they ask you about Rebecca. Um, and then so and then you touched uh, on the previous element of the conversation. You touched about on about how your work then progressed. So the next your next feature project was uh kill list if i'm correct that's right yeah. um uh, again with ben um and then sightseers again again with ben what did what evolved what changed for you both personally professionally and and artistically between those three movies well i uh, basically we were, we all went back to our day jobs i think ben 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 was shooting commercials at the time and i i went back to doing uh, my kind of daily TV work. We did do some comedy. I can't remember which stage that was at, whether that was between Kill List and 
uh, Dan Terrace and Kill List or Kill List Insights. We did some we did some more scripted comedy. So he went back and did a little bit of. We did a couple of comedy pilots, I think, and um, and they kind of dotted around. But they they were they came off the back of that relationship. But essentially, we went back to our day jobs. I went back to operating on um, whatever I was doing. I can't remember. But that um, I, and I kept doing that. Uh, uh, it, there was a year between Dan Terrace and uh, and Kill List. Uh, and then from Kill List, there was another year until Sightseers. And then from Sightseers, there was a um, it was about a year and a half until Field in England. And it was only from just after Field in England. I think that was the summer, late summer of 2013, I think. It's all a bit of a blur. But it was only then it was only then that I went uh, I got my first job um doing a sitcom and that was i ended up doing a, an awful lot of stuff for big talk tv because we'd worked with them on sightseers so there was this kind of link and um i uh, met for uh the first series of a of a sitcom for big talk and it was from then on it was only from then on that i didn't do any more tv work so all the way up until that point all in between uh, Dan Terrace, Kill List, Sightseers, Field in England, I was still doing TV. So that, you know, I kind of, I was, my, my sensibilities were kind of shifting over, I guess. And I was kind of doing my own process of sort of studying and just kind of taking that in, in terms of, you know, what I was learning, because I was learning all of the time um, uh, in terms of structure and sequencing and, and, and composition and lighting, you know, all of these things were all developing really you know, some would say maybe they've not developed very far, but but they all of those things were moving super quick for me. You know, in terms of the the, the equipment that I was using, the crew that I was, you know, I still focus pulled all of those films up until field. I've still focus pulled Field in England, and that was still on. Yeah, I suppose Field in England is probably the closest to that first experience. Yeah. Would you yeah, say yeah. that sort of very very short schedule, the yeah. the single environment, all that kind of stuff? Yes. Um, and so and so and again, like Red One for all of those. So it's, super uh, speeds. It was, super, was that the oh, process? Absolutely, super speeds all the way. Super speeds, and uh, I had a, a Red One for um, for Dan Terrace. I think it was still a Red One for Kill List. Red One MX. Oh yeah, Ooh, for um, for, for sightseers, and then Field in England was actually that was a whole lens thing because we were. I wanted at the time it, the Epic was new. And so what I wanted was, uh, I, I was tried to convince the camera company that I was going to do a, um, I was going to do a field port change because I wanted to use um, um, kind of plastic stills lenses, and they were like, um, no, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, they, they wouldn't allow me to switch between a PL and an EF mount in the field. So yeah, yeah, yeah to use. Uh, so what were you using, like lens babies or or Lomo? Lenses no, so uh, Ben Ben had found these. Um, they are uh, Lomo Diana lenses. I think they so they're yeah, about yeah, thirty yeah. quid a set. I think, and they 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 come in EF and EF and Nikon, but they literally are toy lenses. You know, I think you can get plastic and glass versions, but it's like a it comes out as a comes out as a sixty mil lens, and to make it a thirty, you put you sort you just pop a cap onto it. <laughs> But these, you know, they don't sit in the port properly. They, you know, they've there's also and they've got three, uh, three focus settings. It's like one meter, three meters, and in, and a mountain. So they're, but they are, you know, they flare and they've got their awful aberrations and you know all sorts of interesting texture. So what I ended up using was uh, the PL mount on a on an Epic. And uh, we used to, for the first time, I'd been using it for documentary stuff, actually, was a C300 Mark One, which was very, all quite new at the time. But obviously it came with a, principally came with an EF mount. Um, and so I, that's what we switched between. So I kind of reserved those, the crazy lenses and the lenses that I ended up, I made a, a kind of a port, uh, a port cap lens and um you know, and so for that super texture stuff, and the second cam, so we had a second unit really that went that was went off and did lots of texture stuff. That was all shot on C three hundred, and then I shot everything else on super speeds on the on the red epic. So that was yeah, jumping forward to four films to to field in England, and then so kill list. How had Down Terrace 
been released by the time that Kill List came around? Um, what was yeah. the what was the what was the sort of system for you? Had you seen and grown from the Down Terrace experience when you started Kill List? Well, they all begat each other, really. So, so the 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 the, the small success, you know, the real indie success that that Down Terrace had, because it was, of course, that Ben likes to move pretty quickly, and I think it was all it was all done and posted inside six weeks. So that I think, and then it premiered at um, I think it premiered at Fantastic Fest in in Texas, and I think Ben went to that, or at least we sort of we 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 watched it happening from afar, and then for, off the back of that, um, he managed to get some funding to do the next one. Basically, you know that's what happened, and we got the that was the opportunity was to move up and move on, and so I think he'd 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 written a version of Kill List, and we'd. We even shot some screen tests at one point where we kind of went and um, uh, we were just trying the characters out. Uh, and those exist somewhere, I'm sure. But there's, um, yeah, it was a very, just a very slow, drawn out process because we weren't in a rush. We, you know, we both, we all had jobs to do and that was okay. But it was, it wasn't about, um, you know, as much as Ben likes to work quickly, it wasn't a case of let's, um, or I'll tell you what it is. It, it, it is a case of rushing because actually making four films or three films in three years is is a massive number. You know, that's quite an impressive. People always marvel. I still marvel at that. But I think that, you know, these were very small films that made for not very much money at all in the scheme of things. And so, and, and Ben writes, you know, writes these things really you know he's got half of these things in his head if they're not written down already so there so there's always something that he that that's kind of ready to go or and he's in some form or another and and ben wants to make films while it while he what while he can you know let's there's there's lots of work to do let's do it you know and i'm 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 up for that um the budget jump was okay so this is um so down terrace was made for the the production budget was the grand sum of six thousand pounds. Um, that was shot in uh, eight days. Um, I believe that Kill List, which was shot in three six day weeks, so it was eighteen days because that's when you know we didn't care for our health so much. So six day weeks were fairly standard, or eleven day fortnights. I think it was six six. So it might have been two. It, it might have been an eleven day fortnight plus a six or something, something crazy like that. Um, that was, but still it was about 18 days, uh, 16, 18 days, something like that. That was shot for 700,000, I think. And then, um, I mean, I could be wildly off with all of this, but that's, um, Sightseers was then shot in four weeks. So that might've been two eleven, so 22 days, say that was four, two, two 11 day fortnights. That was just over a million, I believe, I believe. So that you know that leap for us was enormous. You know we were we were away and running, and it felt like we'd made the big time completely. Um, uh, and then uh, Field in England was a bit of a reset. So eighteen months later, that was a reset. We came back down to twelve days, which was that was two six day weeks because we just did it on the run. And that was May. Ben wanted to make that for nothing, really. I think he was going to self fund that, and I think he ended up with some with some funding from Film Four. Um, but it was not very much, you know, and that was 12 days. We shot that in 12 days. Yeah. And we didn't, and, and we didn't wait off for rain or shine or, you know, we just plowed through and shot, used all the daylight we could. And, um, and so, so that sort of prompts the, my next question, which is, which is, so if you, if for instance, you took the money, the 700 K give or take that you had for kill list and gave it to yourselves for down terrace, what do you think would have been the outcome? How successful do you think you would have been? Do you think you would have you would have uh, spent it sensibly and wisely, or do you think you would have changed that sort of dogmatic approach that became, you know, that became the film kind of thing? I think with the, looking at it from this end of the, of the decade, because it is a decade now, um, I wouldn't change a thing about that at all, at all. And uh, uh, if I did have the money. I think it would ruin it or it would, you know, it would be a very, very different animal. And I think that that would not necessarily be a, a, a good thing. I mean, I wouldn't change a spot of, uh, of down terrace. 
I love it deeply. Um, it makes me smile, and it brings back a lot of memories. And um, and just uh, and 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 actually the the um, the not uh, if you if you'd give me seven hundred thousand pounds at the time, I wouldn't have known how to. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, let, let alone what to do with all of that. You know, I think that we we made the best of what we had knowing what we knew because i'd knew next you know i knew nothing at all really um apart from that, that kind of instinct and that that grounding in photog- a bit of photography and uh, and moving pictures you know i didn't and i so i wouldn't change that or i wouldn't have added i wouldn't want to do it now maybe or you know I, as i said i the, the the closest thing that i did to it was a a film with dominic savage a few years ago called um, the escape which was a, ended up being a 17 day schedule um and was all improvised based on a 40 page um skeleton uh treatment really so we all knew where we had to end up and we all knew where what the characters needed to be feeling and going through but but everything was in, including what i saw and what i you know how i covered it was all on the hoof and i it, i loved it you know, it was one of my favorite experiences ever because it was there was a trust in me, a trust in the cast, you know, and the relationship between me and her, and and my t- I had a very small team, but we were kind of just off, out shot on a mini with super speeds, um, <laughs> all handheld. Uh, everything was wireless. Director was in the other room with a five inch monitor, but we just it was me and Gemma Arterton and my focus puller and a boom swinger. I managed to keep out of the room as much as I could, and then you know we we could we could we could go wherever if she wanted to leave the house, you know I had lenses and batteries in a in a rucksack and we would just walk out and we'd leave with her and uh, you know, and it was just it was a joy to make because it was it was a total reset back to that um, that basic idea of um, of freedom and of kind of documentary coverage. But with that knowledge of, you know, uh, eight or 10 years of knowing how to go about doing these things and knowing what works and and sort of editing as we go. And but also having a director keeping their eyes on uh, on what you're shooting so they know what they're getting, know how to cut, you know, can see what works, see what doesn't work. We would do 45 minute takes and then we would cut and we'd put the camera down (laughs) and then. We would talk about it between us and go, you know, actually we we've kind of we we've hit more points than we thought we might. You know, we can we can either move on or maybe we could let's try again and 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 uh, you know, we need to pull this emotion out of it or we need to reach this this aspect or you know, we need we just need to achieve something else. And we would then go again. And just to, and then it's you're into that synchronicity or and that joy of discovery and it's just you know something super rewarding about that that i really loved so yeah that's that you know it's going back to that magic in the, the the lightning in a bottle thing um i think it's lovely to do you know and i i have been fortunate enough to move on to bigger you know really exciting big projects with fantastic sets of people you know with lots with you know a good deal and more amount money to spend and those things are those things you know you get to use vfx and you get to use all sorts of toys and that's all really cool and i love that or or have a team work for you you know if i'm not operating and i'll be lighting but i'll be working with the operators and working with the cast and that's a whole different aspect but then once in a while doing that reset back to basics is just kind of reminds you where you come from reminds you that how important your instincts are that you've still got it you know i love operating just adore it you know and actually I, even on bigger projects i've operated which is tough because you're lighting from a from from behind camera um and you've got to worry about camera movement and getting the shot right and all that so so it's a bit silly really but but i enjoy you know i enjoy it i like being up front i like having that relationship with cast I like storytelling in a a coalition with those with in that from that point of view. And I like to know that I'm getting it and I like to know I'm getting it. So if I am operating, I'd like to do a I mean, I just make make him work for myself more than anything. (laughs) 
yeah. But I think I guess it's also it comes back to that that like that inner sense of of dramaturgy that that you have. You know, you've memorized the script as best, you know, as close as you can to the level that the actors have memorized it. You're trying to pre-visualize how the blocking is going to occur and you're trying to, you know, navigate that lightning in a bottle moment. And I feel like, you know, I concur with the the operating side of things is that if you can have your, you know, your finger on the pulse, then, then you're much closer to capturing that moment especially if you're following your instincts yeah and it is about it is about uh, and being kind of responsible for that and the, actually the joy in finding it and i guess there's a bit there's a little bit of detachment if you're not up front and doing that but it just becomes a slightly different uh creature but i'm learning you know i think i think i think that that's something that we all do and i think every project is very different um sometimes it's cool to do that sometimes it's it's a real a real bonus to be able to step back and see the bigger picture, spend time with the gaffer, lighting it properly, having the benefit of a fantastic operator who is bringing another level of camera movement of composition and, um, and storytelling to, to the director and to the whole uh, project. You know, I, I know the benefit of that and relish it. I love that. Um, uh, and, Sometimes I'm not allowed to have that because, you know, because you're up against budget. But there's also times when even on a big project, you know, I know some just some of the I know some of the best operators in the world. But there's an aspect of handheld and immersive observation that I know I can do. And so that's, you know, I'd and, 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 and a lot of operators can do that as well. But, you know, in a pinch. I know that I can do that, and so I would. That's, I'd almost jump in and do that because um, because I, I I kind of have come to rely and trust that part of myself. But it is a learning process, and everything is different. Every project is different. Every director is different. Every script, every you know, actors are all very different and respond differently. And you know, going back to that sort of improvising thing, is a lot of people really respond to the format of. Uh, wides closes and mids uh, and um uh, and getting their chance to do their work um that isn't that isn't just part of a camera move or you know they, they kind of want to be given the opportunity to get it right for them you know and that's only fair because it's not all about the camera it's not you know getting the technicals right is one thing but you know and i get i've had that from from actors and is that you know maybe lighting and camera is taking over a little bit to get that right when actually it doesn't it means they get less time to do their work you know and, and to put all that all that they want to put into it as well the performance um but i think it's a you know one of the joys another one of the joys there are many joys but it's is is the theater of it all and just the the Ben made a promise to me at the beginning of Down Terrace because I was really shitting it about uh, about getting stuff wrong. You know, focus blows, um, uh, miss frames, bumping, moving around to get a shot. You know, and he promised me that he would cut all of those out so I could reframe and move to a to get a shot, and he didn't. <laughs> because, <laughs> but but the energy that it kept because it meant that you would have these long single takes of which there are many in um, down terrace of real straight, genuine performance, um, whether it's improvised or on script or however, but just these real genuine performances from an astonishing Rob Hill, who's the lead, the lead character in down terrace. I mean, why he's not, he should be working. He should be acting. I mean, he's astonishing. He's timing and he's, he's just fantastic i think he's just he makes that that and his dad just make that film what it is it's um astonishing to watch but the energy of the handheld of the being present as a camera as a witness as an eye um as another character that that that's what all of those movements those misframes the awkwardness the focus the buzzing the you know that's all part of it and so i'm glad he left it in because those are the, they form the character of the camera um and so it feels all the more immersive rather than being too posed too um 
you know too formal too formal or it's properly immersive i think and that's um i love that yeah exactly it's for me it's like when you hear the fretwork of a guitar of a of a mm. you know of a of a Jimi hendrix or a, or an eric clapton or whatever or or the cracking of a voice at the pitch at the tail end of a high note mm. from a you know from an adele or whatever yeah that's the that's the that's the limit that's the that's the character coming mm. through and i think that that's you know if you're capturing performance the rough edges of performance that occur in a single long take they're the things that bring character to the to the to the performance side of a of a of a film and and likewise the technical the technical rough edges mm. you know they they definitely bring character um, and and in fact you know asked you know as soon as you get to a place where you can use any any type of lens that you would like to use, you know, at any budget level, whatever. One of the th- first things that that um, cinematographers and photographers look for is the roughest, oldest, most East European lens that you can find to try to give the imagery this, you know, the the character, the character of you know, uh, verisimilitude or whatever, um, and. Um, I think that Down Terrace has that character in Spades, both from a from a photography perspective, from a direction perspective, from a performance perspective. I think um, it's a great piece of work that you should rightly be proud of. Do you know what? You know, I have, uh, a decade later. Yeah, I think, and I and I'm I, I'm not I, I I hesitate to be proud of stuff because I you know I think we're all super critical of our own work and uh, and I don't think that always serves us necessarily. But Down Terrace, I am. I am absolutely proud. You know, actually, there's a few, there's a few things. There's a, a lot of my work, of course. There's a lot of my work that I'm very proud of. But, but, but when talking about Down Terrace, what it really that pride in that beginning is is it means an awful lot to me. And you know, and I love all the bumps and scrapes and all the, and it is so. You know, it is like watching a real set of people. It really is for me. Having watched it again last night, it is. It's nothing. You know, it's it's a awesome bit of work. <laughs> I'm very much in love with it, and I appreciate you uh, taking time to talk about it. No, I pre- appreciate you taking time to answer the questions and to to delve a little deeper into you know the the wellspring of of your career kind of thing. That's very cool. Anytime, Chris. <laughs> so I guess, uh, so thank you very much to Laurie Rose, BSE, for taking time out of your schedule to uh, to hang out with me today. Uh, for those people that are listening that haven't seen Down Terrace, I don't know what you've been doing. You should have paused this, you know, an hour and 10 minutes ago, gone to watch the film and then come back to listen to, to Laurie fill us in. Thank you, Laurie Rose. Um, I'll see you very soon. No worries. So, please like or subscribe or any other thing you like to do with a podcast. But most importantly, join me again for the next conversation in Podcast 102 with cinematographer Alvin Kuchler. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.